Hi. Welcome to another PSD cast from Power Systems Design. I'm your host, Alex Paul, and today I've got Len Crane and uh, Jude Fisher there with uh, Coilcraft, and we're going to talk about uh, education in the uh, engineering community. Isn't that right, gents? Welcome to the show. Thanks, Alex. Good to talk to you. Glad to have the two of you here. Who was that, by the way? I'm sorry. This is Len. Okay. Hi, Jude. Hey, Harry, Alex. Doing very well. I'm glad to have you gentlemen on because the issue of education is critical to the engineering community because multiple reasons. I mean, number one, the engineering community is not getting any younger. I mean, there are young engineers, but a lot of the core IP is being lost as more and more senior engineers leave the community. So not only do we have to maintain the information they have, the other horn of the cusp, as it were, is the community continues to require more and more skills. I mean, an engineer who designed pumps 20 years ago didn't have to worry about software algorithms unless they were doing extremely delicate work. Isn't that right? Uh, and when, whoever jumps in first, just identify yourself. Alec, this is Len, and uh, I think you're absolutely right um, about two things. The, the number of new people that need information on a daily basis, whether they're newly entering the workforce or whether they're changing or whether applications and needs are simply changing. Um, and I think one of the tasks overall that, that all of, of uh, us engineers face, every year that goes by, there's more information out there. Um, you know, we can all look back and say, oh, we didn't learn that in school. Um, that's kind of an easy cop-out, I think, when maybe we didn't know this stuff at the time some of us were in school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, well, just look at some of the disruptive technologies that have come through uh, since I've been an editor. I started uh, at Electronic Products back in 1998 uh, uh, as an associate editor on the Power Beat. Uh, when you think about where power has come, from 1998 till today alone, I mean, forget about 1980, and there are engineers who've been working longer than that, and there are factories that were designed earlier than that that haven't been upgraded since they were put in. Exactly. I mean, you know, we all, as consumers, we all see the... Uh, uh, the big changes, we see the new products that we're all excited about uh, uh, every year. We see the ads uh, on TV ourselves when we're, when we're sitting in our homes. But as an engineer, sometimes we're a little closer to that and we, uh, you know, doing it day by day, we forget how, how big some of these advances are and how truly things uh, have changed in very short spans of time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, just, just think of two that come right off the top of my head in the power space. One is digital power management, and the other, of course, are wide band gap semiconductors. One's a software and related hardware issue. The other is a complete materials and related hardware issue. And yet those are only two examples of all of the pressures on not only current engineers trying to stay current, but engineers trying to learn how to be an engineer. Exactly. At the same time, the, you know, we're, we hope that all new engineers and, and that we all continue through our careers to uh, learn good practices and, uh, and apply those practices. But as the, um, as the information flow can be, be so overwhelming um, and with new 
what appear to be new ways to get answers, whether it's web-based and flashy tools. Um, sometimes we all have to guard against falling into the trap of going right to the solution. Um, yes, mm -hmm. sometimes whether it's a supplier or a textbook or, or a conversation can lead us to an answer very quickly. Um, but what we find is very rarely is that really the optimal or best answer if the fundamentals uh, aren't well understood on how that decision was arrived. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because, well, you know, when you think about it, you, you have to agree on, number one, how far apart the marks are on the ruler before you can even start, right? Exactly. Um, uh, and you know, that alone is an educational just to get standardization with the industry on requirements and issues within the industry for measurement, for regulation, for education, uh, recognition, you know, adjudication, um, all of those issues, I mean, granted that's a bigger issue than we can address here, let's narrow back down, where is Coilcraft stepping into this value chain and providing additional value? Well, it's interesting. One, one thought that comes to mind um, is that, you know, at Coilcraft, we're specifically focused on uh, magnetic components. Um, mm -hmm. And we like to think that magnetics are unique. Maybe, maybe they aren't quite as unique as we think they are. I, I, think, I think most people do view them as a little different than, than other components. And one of the things we spend, you know, you talk about, uh, you know, understanding uh, the marks right from the beginning, uh, it starts right with the language we use. Um, mm -hmm. You know, very sophisticated engineers, even, even let's say someone who's a, a very experienced power supply engineer, if we look at today's bill of materials, there's many, many components in here. It's, it's not particularly realistic uh, for even someone who's, you know, kind of focused like a power engineer. It's not really realistic that he's an expert that he or she is an expert in every single component, every single material that he has to specify. Um, and so it constantly um, is an opportunity for all of us in that chain to uh, make a better connection, make a better engagement, simply even starting with uh, the, the language. Um, we. Uh, particularly, we as a company, we believe a lot in, in customer engagement. That's where a lot of our good information comes from. And, and that's where we learn how others view the questions. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it sort of comes back to um, any problem becomes a lot more solvable if the question is posed correctly from the beginning. Um, it yeah. sounds kind of silly, but... Uh, uh, especially if you put a group of engineers together, the most important thing we find is make sure we're all talking about the same problem, that we're all trying to solve the same thing. And that comes down to just simply language and, and defining what we're talking about in a, maybe a component area that folks aren't quite as familiar with. Right. Well, and not only that, uh, as m my audience knows, uh, one of the topics that comes up very often is the whole issue of analog engineering as an art and as an elusive science because every attempt to approximate the real world by definition is an attempt at art because you will never achieve 100% resolution. So the it's even magnified when you look at it from the magnetics uh, homonymic 
pun, no actual pun there, everybody. Uh, no, <laughs> but the problem uh, is greater when you look at magnetics because this is where engineering comes probably as close to material science as any practical science comes to research and development. Exactly. I can tell you from my own personal experience, I mean, I went to school to be an electrical engineer, and mm -hmm. um, I've worked, on, worked in the magnetics field uh, ever since I left the university, and, but I've spent the vast majority of my time doing exactly what you just said, learning about materials, whether it's plastics or magnetics or solders or, you know, all the, all the stuff that in school doesn't sound all that interesting, perhaps, to someone who, who likes to design circuits, but um, we do sit at a very interesting intersection, I think. We talk about power supplies, um, you know, we, talk, we sit at the intersection of analog and digital. We sit mm -hmm. at, a, at the intersection of electrical and mechanical, uh, actually, mm -hmm. which is, as you, as you allude to, it's really the intersection of electrical, mechanical, chemical, environmental, um, you know, it, it's another, maybe it's a fancier way of saying it's a, we're putting components into very sophisticated devices, and yet our components and the, the understanding of them is, is also a fairly hands-on uh, type of thing. So it's a very interesting uh, combination. Uh, we, don't, we don't intend it in any way at all. Uh, to try and dumb down our information, but it's, it's, that's not it at all. We do need to simplify things so that we have good communication and, and we can find the limits. Uh, we can find better designs tomorrow than we did mm -hmm. yesterday. Alex, this is picking up on what... Go ahead, please. About, pardon me? Go ahead, please. Um, picking up on what Len said about hands-on, that's one of the things... Uh, we try to do uh, for students specifically um, and getting our parts into their hands to experiment so they can play with this stuff because uh, it might not be covered in the classroom. Um, they have a lot of questions. We try to provide materials on our website to help them research a topic, but it's very important just to get the parts in their hands so they can play with them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, now, Let's say I am an up-and-coming aspiring engineer. I'm going to, you know, engineering you, and I want to really get into the analog side because I heard that analog engineers are the coolest engineers in the industry, and so they call you guys up. What's the next step? As far as their career or as far as, <laughs> as, far as helping them uh, on, a, on a given as project? As far as helping them. In other words, what, what, they, they call you up and go, hey, I want to be a better engineer. What do you do for them in real time on the spot? Well, uh, it's, it's an overused word, but um, to me the, the first word that comes to mind is, is engagement because uh, mm -hmm. I don't know that there's one answer to helping everyone. It's to try and understand what is, what is their perspective already. Um, you know, we have, uh, we have people with quite a bit of experience, but that, that experience doesn't always apply to a, to a new project. Um, so the, the first thing we really do is try and understand um, 
just really what is that what is that level of understanding that that person already has and and the answer then becomes uh, in a variety of things we have we have some articles that are already written um, we have samples we have um, applications but I you know I uh, you know, and we, we have lab kits and things to, to offer to anyone to, to, to do their own experimenting. Um, but I, I would say we try not to go immediately there. We try not to just plunk down a piece of hardware and say, here you go, here, here's the answer. Um, right. one, one of the things we really, uh, we, we do a lot, um, and, and, uh, and that is that uh, we offer uh, some online uh, selection tools and analysis tools, and I really like getting people to walk through those. Um, and, and of course, if someone's coming to us as a customer and wants to find the optimal part, those are those are great uh, tools to use for that. But beyond that, the reason I like those is because that it, it's almost like a lab course in itself. It sort of forces you to go step by step and and think about well why are they asking me for this? Why do I care about ripple current when I'm calculating core loss? Um, that may be obvious to someone who's experienced. It may not be obvious even to an experienced engineer. But those are the kind of things that, that get you interacting. And um, you know there, there's no such thing as our perfect uh, perfect tool, right? Where you know, people come to our website and they say, well, what what number am I supposed to fill in this box? Or why are you asking me that? Um, actually, I think those. We, we didn't maybe set it up that way, but those become very educational questions when the user has to say, oh, they're asking me for switching frequency and my duty cycle and something else. Those must, you know, that it just reinforces those are the important things. So it, it becomes a learning experience um, mm -hmm. by, by that engagement. So. You know, we have the right. samples and things which are which are completely great, but I, I would encourage anyone to, I mean, you can start with a textbook, but find a way to get in, well, gee, I keep saying engaged. How many times have I said that? Uh, I don't get paid Hands for saying on. engaged. <laughs> um, Hands uh, on. But it's that activity, I think, is the key. Interactive, there you go. Interactive, there it is. But that, but that makes all the sense in the world, gents, because... You could show someone something all day, but if you make them do it, they'll learn. Well, that's it exactly. I do quite a few lunch and learns with customers, and, and I always use our own tools to demonstrate the examples. And, and the idea being that on any given day, I probably don't have the answer that that person needs, but if we leave them with some thoughts and ideas on how they can solve their problem, it's really a, a longer-lasting uh, thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so now, was there anything else uh, specifically about Coilcraft's efforts that you just wanted to highlight? Well, I think that's uh, that we kind of touched on it there. We put a lot... Uh, uh, a lot of focus on our, our web tools that our, both our customers and, and students are, are encouraged to use. And that sort of, uh, um, and, and that sort of leads us to, um, you know, better engagement. That leads us to, oh, well, this isn't good enough. What, what's the next thing that people need to do? Um, right. One of the challenges that I think we have in magnetics and probably uh, educating on any particular subject, and that is that, um, you know, the textbooks like to explain what's inside, what's inside a magnetic, for example. Okay, here's how you might design it. Here's how you put uh, turns of wire on a given core. 
Well, the truth is a very, very small percentage of people interested in the topic are actually going to be designers of that. The vast majority are going to be users of that device. So right. it's, an, it's an interesting sort of educational slash marketing task to provide, to, to, to sort of translate what we know into the type of information as an output that a, that a user can, can really use. We can always provide more information that's more detailed about our parts that really has the danger of being misleading. Uh, people read a lot of papers, they say, oh, you should do this, you should do that. Well, the end result is the end result is, is really the most important thing. Gotcha. And, well, and that's an excellent, excellent point to make because so many companies are focused on the device and not enough on, and that's another beaten up word, but it's an apt one, is solution. You know, you can have a chip that's room conducting it, uh, that's super conducting at room temperature, but if it is only presented by its I.O., power consumption, and a few esoteric specs, you're never going to get adoption until you explain what it does, how it does it, what's the benefit for the engineering community. Exactly, and um, and sort of one of my favorites is, and what happens when we push things past the spec limit? You know, you, you mentioned a couple terms there, things that you find on data sheets. You know, the, one of the most common phrases we hear in any discussion is, you know, we're limited by the physics. We can't change the physics. Well, that's true, but that's not where things stop. The key is to understand that physics so we know how to use it, how we can... I hate to use the work word around How do we work around is better? I was going to say, how do we cheat on this on the spec? <laughs> um, you know, the, Engineers the data never cheat. Says, the data sheet says this part is rated for three amps. Well, what is that limit based on? Is specifically inductance current is an interesting one because we have two or three different current ratings for the part. So uh, if you're going to say, okay, this part is three amps, but I want to use it at four amps, the key is what actually happens? Does the part become destroyed? Does the performance change in some way? Those are the really interesting questions because if right. you, How does it if derate? you simply stop at that limit, then everybody has the same thing. Everyone's design is the same. Everyone can get three amps out of that component. The guy that can look mm -hmm. at that same component today and say, I can squeeze a little bit more out of it by, as you say, the solution, uh, that's that's the winner. We we all do actually change physics, or we understand it better. When and and I, I like to tell our salespeople, you know, when we have when we have a new product, that's really actually quite easy. The discussion there isn't all that interesting. Here's a data sheet. Look, this part is smaller than the one yesterday. That's really kind of the easy conversation. The more interesting one to me is we're stuck with this part that I shouldn't say stuck with. Here's what we have available today. How can we optimize the use of this component com uh, combined with other components, and, uh, and and how can we make a better better solution? That's exactly. really where we get our edge. If we could simply invent better parts every day, um, I don't think there's a, an industry out there that can simply do that. So well, our part is simply better than it used to be, um, or, or even no matter what the leading edge is, we we need to make the best of whatever that leading edge happens to be today. Right. Oh, an analogy I love to use uh, with my audience is that tree could deafen every animal in the forest, but if a human doesn't hear it, 
it didn't make a sound. The same goes for functionality in a device. If it does not provide functionality to the user, it's just engineering masturbation. Exactly. I mean, we can we can put all sorts of numbers. We can we can do things that really impress you and you know just make your eyes spin on a data sheet. In the long run, that doesn't really help us or our customers right. or students or, or really any of the community that we're interacting with. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Now, unfortunately, gents. This is a podcast, and uh, we can't run all day, although this is a topic we could literally talk on forever. I'm going to have to promise, have you guys promise that you're going to come back so we can talk some more about this, okay? Absolutely, Alex. We enjoyed it. It's our pleasure. There you go. But before I let you go, I always let my guests have the last word on my show. So it could be a little bit more about uh, Coilcraft or what you're doing in the edge space or just a tip for our audience, but the floor is yours. Well, I guess I just would say, uh, again, thanks for the time. Um, Coilcraft is a manufacturer of magnetic devices. We've been focused in the same product area for a long time. And as we like to uh, explain to everyone, um, our customers shouldn't really care how old our company is or how old I am unless we can take that experience and make that a benefit in today's environment. And that's really what this is about, building on the things we've learned, whether it's from textbooks or from simply doing and finding ways to make that be a benefit in whatever the problem of today is, whatever the challenge for today is. Applause, applause, gents. (laughs) (laughs) That's the beautiful thing. Well, that's the beautiful thing about running an engineering talk show is that unless I've got Dr. Evil coming on, we're we're not going to say, you know, there's not going to be a conversation, death beams are good for the environment or something. You know, odds are a group of intelligent people are going to generally agree. And when you talk about these areas and these issues, the beautiful part is we are all looking in the same direction. That's one of the beautiful strengths of our industry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, you know, as... As working engineers, especially, you know, we see the challenges every day. We see that things aren't easy. You know, we're, we don't we don't ask our teams to do easy things. That's that's what we did yesterday. Um, we're always asked for. So, my my point is, on a day to day basis, things can look a little bit messy. Things can look a little bit. Holy cow! Are we? You know, you get too close to the uh, too close to the project. It doesn't doesn't always feel like progress uh, uh, is really being made. So some days we just have to remind ourselves, you know, the phone's ringing. People are calling us all day. People are using our product. People are interacting with our uh, design resources. And and that's a, a good perspective to get, to say we must be close to something. We must be touching something that people need or are interested in. Um, the phone is not quiet. That's one thing we know. <laughs> Yeah, one thing we try to do is for both professional engineers and students is make their job, no matter what they're working on at any given time, make it easier for them to do that quickly. Um, that's reflected in our tool. That's re- reflected in our uh, sampling policy. Um, and we've, over the years, uh, engineers have come to know us for that. And to a certain extent, they rely on it. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's the beauty about having a legacy, and I'm really glad that Coilcraft continues to maintain theirs. So thank you both again for having the time to come on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Alex. Take care.
You as well. Uh, I'd also like to thank our audience for taking the time to be with us. We wouldn't be here without you. Tell your friends. This is Alex Paul for Power Systems Design. Have a great day.